Hello and welcome to Podcast by the Peer, the podcast where freelance copywriters talk about all things freelancing and copywriting. Whether you're a seasoned copywriter or just dipping your toe into the world of words, pull up the deck chair and join us as we dive into the minds of some of our freelance favourites. I'm your host, Tom Davies, a freelance copywriter based in Brighton. And today, I'm joined by desk debater, copywriting is creator, and home base battery taker. It's the legend of Andrew Bolton. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Don't tell home base about that. They'll come and get me. They'll find me. Have you got any batteries left? I didn't realise I'd sort of, I'd, I'd ever aired that publicly. That was quite a shock. Yeah, I've done my research, mate. Oh, God. Don't tell them. Nobody tell them. They deserved it. They treated us awfully. So for this episode, I thought we'd deep dive into a few chapters of your award-winning book, Copywriting Is, 30 or so thoughts on thinking like a copywriter. I thought I'd get that plug in early for you, Andrew. Thank you very much. Before we crack on, can you tell our listeners who you are and how you became a copywriter? Before I do, I have to confess, we are not an award-winning book. We are a best-selling book, which we tell people all the time, but no one's given us an award yet. If anyone's listening who was in charge of these things, we'd happily take an award. <laughs> so I think I have sort of spoken about this sort of publicly before. Like a lot of like really good writers out there at the moment, I completely stumbled into it. It was a pure accident. And I knew at school that writing was a thing I really enjoyed doing, creative writing in particular. And I thought, well, this is something I'd love to be able to sort of do with my grown up life. But I don't feel like that's on the cards. And the advice I was getting was very much if you want to work in writing, go to university and do English literature. And I felt like that was just reading other people's writing rather than sort of doing my own. And then sort of journalism was floated, but I was told that journalism was low paid and miserable and all of these things. So it felt straight away like a brick wall. And I reckon there's a load of people listening to this podcast who are in exactly the same situation and bumbled into it kind of completely by accident. And so I kind of went away and I picked up completely by chance a few little writing jobs here and there. And I stumbled upon this thing called copywriting. And it was, you know, at the age of whatever, after I'd done my university degree in, in sociology, which has never served me any use whatsoever ever since I sort of finished it, I discovered this thing called copyright. And I heard that word for the first time and I went and found out what it was. And a light bulb goes on and you go, oh, there, there is a job. <laughs> there is a career path where you can go and use your imagination and you can use your love of words and your, your ability, such as it is, to kind of express things in interesting and engaging and original ways. And it's like, I wish I'd known this sooner. I don't know what particularly would have sort of changed in terms of my path. And I feel very thankful that I did manage to stumble into it when I did. But it would have been nice to know at that age where you've kind of decided that creative writing is what you want to do with your life to know that there is this huge and massively viable and rewarding job out there, what you could be pointing yourself towards. Yeah, exactly. And you're certainly not alone with stumbling into copywriting. I remember myself, I was walking to college as an English teacher before becoming a copywriter, listening to Spotify on my headphones. And for some reason, Spotify just, it went to, I think it was Kate Toon's podcast about copywriting. And I was just, what is this? What is this whole world? And I got hooked by it and I just stumbled across it. I was never made aware of it. So I'm in the same boat in many respects. I, I think that's almost, it's not the idle situation, but it's slightly more reassuring that there is so much kind of media and content and writers with profiles out there that the word is probably being spread more efficiently. I like the fact that the universe decided you should be a copywriter 
and the medium it chose to spoke through was Kate. I feel that's very appropriate because she's excellent. Yeah, yeah, she is brilliant. As I mentioned in the intro, we're going to deep dive into a few thoughts you share in copywriting is. For me, it's a book I dip into quite often. It's never too far from my laptop. The same can be said for your ex-colleague's book, Read Me, written by the brilliant Charles Lingwood. Charles spelled correctly, of course. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's just a brilliant book. So I thought we'd just jump into a few of those chapters, the first of which is called Quiet. And in this chapter, you talk about the idea of self-generated cognition and allowing your mind to wander. Of course, this might not always be easy under you know, the business cultures and habits that are instilled since the time of dinosaurs. So for anyone listening who perhaps feels a sense of guilt when they leave their desk. Can you explain to us why it's so important for creatives to sometimes just step away from the pencil case and just let their mind drift? Yeah, 100%. I think this is the hill I'm prepared to die on. Professionally speaking, I just got back from FixFest, fantastic first ever edition of Glenn and Nick's Fish Fest in Glarkenwell. And my talk there was about solitude as a copywriter and being able to kind of remove yourself from that busy environment, that sort of communal kind of environment in the office or the agency or wherever it might be, you even sort of a day full of Zoom calls and just have some time by yourself. And the science in there, the neuroscience I touch upon, is nothing. My brain doesn't work in that way. I can't wrap my head around it. It was from a fantastic book called Autopilot by a guy called Andrew Smart. And this is basically, you know, you read this book and it's permission for creatives and writers to do nothing, to put their feet up, to allow their brain just to kind of switch off and be quiet and just kind of let your imagination go in the way it wants to go and not try and meld it around sort of the demands of a day or the demands of a meeting schedule or the deadlines you've got. Just let your brain kind of tick over. And that's when the most interesting stuff comes. And I reckon there are people who feel guilty if they sort of take their time away and do it. And that's something that we can kind of work on ourselves in terms of recognizing what our value is, what makes us valuable to our clients. It's our creativity, it's our ideas, it's our words. And then what are the conditions that put us in the best place to produce those things that the clients are going to really appreciate and value, and it's going to kind of perform in the way we've been asked to perform. So there is a really sort of logical conversation you can have with yourself to go, I shouldn't feel guilty about this because this is actually turning out better for my client. This is me earning my money and demonstrating my value. I think the bigger problem is, and it still exists, so you talked about time of the dinosaurs. Uh, there's still a few dinosaurs knocking around. It's these agencies and business who feel like unless they can see you as a copywriter physically at your desk in the act of writing, typing or scribbling or whatever it might be then you're not doing what they've paid you to do. And there is suspicion about any copywriter who wants to kind of go and be by themselves or change their environment or change their scene. And these are essential things that every writer needs to have sort of the permission to do, sort of guilt-free and judgment-free. And I still think there's a lot of people who are put in charge of creatives who fundamentally don't understand what creative brains need. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I was just thinking, I don't think I've ever had a great idea sitting at my desk. Not that I can recall anyway. And a previous guest on the show, Emma Cowley, she recently shared a post where she explains a copywriter is always thinking about the latest brief, whether consciously or subconsciously it's in there, be it in the shower or walking a dog. It just, it hijacks our mind. And those ideas just can come out of anywhere. You know, soldering yourself to a desk, it just doesn't seem the best way forward for creatives. Thing I said at FixFest was you've got to be able to listen to your, your imagination or, or learn to kind of read the signals from your imagination. 
your creative person with a creative brain is very, very good at telling you what it needs. And it's also very, very sort of stubborn and immovable if you are trying to make it work in conditions it doesn't like. So those moments where you sit and you feel like the ideas are coming and all your writing is sort of trash that you've probably stolen from somewhere else in the first place. That isn't a question of your imagination letting you down. It's the opposite. It's you are not giving your imagination the conditions and the stimulus it needs to produce something good. So step one in that situation should be get up, move, go somewhere else. You know, even if you just switch rooms, ideally go a little bit further than that, go and be outdoors and see the sky. But even if you just change your desk to another desk, I think that's a step in the right direction. And I used to say this to students all the time. They'd sit there facing each other in the studio, agonizing over a line or agonizing over a brief, expecting that they can sort of just force it by their will, by the amount of pain that they're enduring, that it's going to end up in something good. And all, all it's doing is taking you further and further away from a solution. So you're in control of that. So get up, move, change the circumstances, change the situation, listen to your brain and see if that's improved things. Yeah. And I guess you've got to kind of break the shackles of habit as well, haven't you? Because at school, even before school, conditioned, sit down, listen, and it's a completely different world. So I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's exactly that what you just, just said, Tom. It's you spend your whole sort of educational life being sat, being told that it's a certain environment, certain conditions where you work. And, and then it's hard to deprogram yourself from that. Oh, yeah, certainly. So you mentioned about solitude, something you spoke about at FixFest. Of course, there's another yeah. thought that you share in a book called Solitary. And one of the standout lines for me was when you said, there will be times in any copywriting career, whether in the throbbing assurance of a busy agency or in the pants and Pringles tundra of home working, when being able to think, write and create alone will be necessary. I imagine the latter is what us freelance copywriters experience more. And while I couldn't agree more with what you say, there's also, I guess, a downside of working alone where you fight with your words, headlines, ideas. Have you got any advice for listeners on how to silence that inner critic? I've got words for it, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that's very much easier said than done. There's a book I read by writer DCB Pierre, and I, I quote him in the book somewhere. I can't remember where. And he talks about this idea of we've all got kind of a jury inside of our minds. And that jury is made up of all the most kind of critical people you've ever met in your life, the people who never particularly believed in you or sort of held you back and all of those different things. And I, I like that as a concept. So the downside, I suppose, to writing by yourself is you're left alone with that jury. But equally, I think the value in copywriting and a, a creative career like this, the sort of the stage where you're really starting to master it, you're starting to become let's say, a, a very good to great copywriter, is when you can look at something you've written and either go, that's brilliant, like I'm incredible, or go, that's awful. And for either of those reactions to kind of mean nothing to you. And I, I know that sounds like a really glum way of looking at it. We should congratulate ourselves when we've done something amazing. But almost this idea of not being surprised by what comes out on the page and not allowing that to, to make us feel like we're invincible, but equally not allowing that to make it feel like we're hopeless. There's always another line. There's always another idea. There's always going to be something that comes up. So if we attach too much importance to the thing we've just put on the page, you get into this spiral of self-doubt. You get into this sort of this kind of creative anxiety, really, where it makes it harder for the next thing that comes out to be good and surprising and original. I think if you can start to train your brain in a way to react almost nonchalantly to whatever comes out, at least while you're in the writing stage of the process, you're not going to get in your own way.
Yeah, brilliant. Just kind of zooming in a bit more there. Do you have your own kind of rigid creative process that you follow or does it change every time? How does it work with you? So I think in terms of a process, my process is kind of to not have a process. And over the years, I've tried lots of lots of different things. Like all kind of creative people, you go through this sort of trial and error, trying to find out your own way of working that works for you. And, and that's very individual to everyone. But I don't like things that feel like a habit or routine. It feels too close to a formula. Like if I do this and this in this place, then the output is always going to come. I don't think that's a reliable way to think about it. The only thing that's kind of a consistent part of my process really is I walk. I, I can't sit at my desk. We talked earlier about, about desks and desks are a terrible place to kind of sit and think and try and come up with ideas. Uh, so I do take myself uh, out of that environment. I go for a walk and I've been lucky that the places I, I've kind of worked over my career get that and they understand that. And the deal uh, has always been that uh, I'm going to vanish for a bit. I'm going to go and mull over this brief. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to walk. Uh, and they're okay with that, providing I come back with something, if that's just the kind of a beginning of an idea or an interesting line. or uh, So there's a little bit of pressure while you're out there because you know you've got to return with something to, to kind of show for your efforts. But it works for me. And I feel like I almost come back with too many thoughts when I, I've been off on my little sort of creative strolls. What I do find quite reassuring is you read so much more stuff these days and you hear on podcasts writers and creatives who are really kind of proving and establishing that relationship between walking and fresh air and, and sort of how the effect that can have on creativity. So it doesn't feel like an indulgence. It might look like that to some people from the outside, but it feels like it's a kind of a worthwhile and, and ultimately a rewarding kind of part of the process. Yeah, completely agree. And, and walking is a complete non-negotiable for my process as well. Hence the windswept tenant you're looking at right now. I thought that was a choice. I thought that was... <laughs> Well, that was the style. No, no, it's windy and Brighton today. <laughs> We've spoken about solitude. On the other side of that, there's uh, collaboration, which is another thought yeah. you share when you talk about creative partnerships. One of the stand-up ones for me is when you said, you will truly know when you found your creative match, when they can tell you quite freely, your idea is shit. And while they do, you feel not the mildest pickle of hurt or resentment. I can only speak from my experience, but I, I don't have a creative partner, but quite often wish I had one. I imagine I'm not alone in thinking that. So do you think freelance copywriters might be missing a trick here? I think so. It's about balance. You know, I've, I've just started telling you how brilliant it is to be on your own and go for a walk on your own to go with the ideas. But I think that there is sort of this balance of being around other creatives. It can be energized. I think what I don't necessarily buy into is the idea that if you just put a collection of creative people into a room together they will come up with something i think there is a degree of chemistry there and that's why often you'll find a partner where for really sort of unexplainable reasons there's just a click it just kind of fits together and the example i use in that book and it's really annoying that i have to talk about him because he's an idiot he doesn't deserve any nationwide praise but my mate john john clement and he was the sort of the creative partner i had fairly early on in my career where just clicked it just worked like we liked the same stuff and we laughed at the same things and we could just sit in a room completely silently just thinking and it felt okay it felt comfortable and he'd say something and he'd be like yeah yeah and what if we did this as well and equally you know the, the quote you just read out we could just tell each other that we what we'd said was just rubbish you've just your idea you just pitched me is shit and you just you don't even feel this level of defensiveness or hurt about it even if you disagree you're like yeah, okay, that's, you know, I can take that from you and because I, I know that you can take it from me. 
And so me and John have worked together sort of on and off, like our whole sort of careers, doing bits and bobs here and there. And it's always the same. I know we could spend 20 years apart. He won't last 20 years. He's an old man. But in theory, we could spend 20 years apart and come back together and it would still be the same dynamic, that same energy. And there's nothing we've done to create that. That wasn't a choice. It wasn't any work we put into making that relationship work. It just clicked. It was just the sort of the chemistry of it. And equally, I've worked with really brilliant creatives in my career, really fantastic ones who I really admire and respect. And we've just not clicked. It's not been unpleasant. It's not been argumentative. It's just the work hasn't been great. And the sort of, you know, the feeling of how you, you've kind of brought this work into the world tells you the quality of what it's going to be. So I think if you were a copywriter freelancing and you are ultimately spending a lot of time on your own, go and find another person who's in the same situation as you and just try and test that relationship out. See if that chemistry is there. Be really honest with yourself and each other if it isn't. But there's a lot of us in this kind of same boat and it would be nice if we could sort of uh, help each other float a little. Yeah, certainly. And I imagine when John tells you your idea is shit or vice versa, I imagine that leads to some quite fruitful discussion, actually, behind the words, why you think it works, why it doesn't. And, you know, you're kind of forcing both of you to learn a bit, little bit more at that stage. It doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> Sometimes you just go, yeah, because you, I think the worst state any kind of copywriter can ever find themselves in is when you find yourself very impassionately halfway through a defense of an idea and you suddenly realize in that moment that it's a bad idea. Because it's really hard to kind of back out of that. And I've been sat in client presentations before, presenting something, really sort of defending an idea the client isn't buying into. And it, I just realized that, oh, no, actually, it's not very good. <laughs> That's why they don't like it. And it's so hard to kind of reverse out of that situation. So it's quite refreshing to be with someone who just goes, let me stop you there. Let's not carry on. That's awful. And you go, thank you for that. It is awful. Let's move on to the next thing. So me and John were never actually that brilliant at explaining to each other or convincing each other why an idea was good or not. I think it was one of those things where we were so sort of in tuned, you know, creatively on the same page that if he said something that was really cool, I'd get excited about it straight away. And we knew it was something to go and sort of build. And it can't just be like two idiots sat in a room patting each other on the back. You have to have that critical eye. You've got to go back to the brief. You've got to kind of put yourself in the client position and the audience's position. We did all of those things. But the beginning of that process, it has to just be about, we're both really excited about this. There must be something in this. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Anyone listening who wants a creative partner, get in touch. Not you, mum. Right. Before <laughs> we get to uh, listener questions, I thought we could mention a blog post you shared back in 2020 called English Teachers Meet Copywriters. And as an ex-English teacher myself, I was nodding at every sentence, particularly when you said, my concern is to make visible as early as possible a viable future in creative writing that remains defiantly beneath a young person's radar. Do you think it's time then, Andrew, for a bit of a syllabus shake-up? I'd like to think so. I think what, you know, you look at advertising industry and marketing industry and the sort of the related kind of creative commercial industries around it. It's a thriving industry and not just in the old traditional hubs. It's not just a London thing anymore. There are opportunities for kind of young creative people in that world, all sorts of different roles and disciplines all over the country, all over the world. They sort of take different shapes and have different functions. But it's basically saying this could be your place. This could be the place where you can kind of go and your weirdness will become an asset. Your weirdness will become something we value. And I think that's great. That's lovely. But certainly when I was at school, which we've got to be honest, was decades ago, 
that wasn't on the cards. There was no discussion around that. You know, you weren't like advertising. There was no mention of that as a potential career for anything. Even if you did sort of art or you're interested in designing, heading into that kind of world, there was still no real conversations around go and be an advertiser, go and sort of use your creative skills to sell stuff for brands. So yeah, I think there, there does need to be a shakeup, even if it's just a question of letting people know that this is an option. And I, I did some time teaching a creative writing degree while I was at Lincoln, while I was teaching. And I stood in front of this room of kind of creative writers. And I'd say, let's be generous to me, 85% of them couldn't give a hoot about what I was saying. They weren't interested in copywriting. That was, no, nah, I don't want to go work for the man. I'm not going to sell out my my kind of creative vision to go and sort of, you know, flog Skittles or whatever it might be. And the 15% were like, oh, well, actually, I want to be in creative writing and I want to kind of make money from that. But I also equally, I want to be, I don't want to have to go and work as a barista in, in Costa while I'm working on my great novel. It would be nice to go and get some experience and be rewarded and paid for actually the thing I'm really good at and the thing I like to do. So I think putting advertising and marketing and copywriting in particular on people's radars, young creative people's radars, you still get a lot of people who go, no, that isn't for me. I'm an artist and my vision is pure. And do you know what? Fair play. Good luck to you. Go off and do your thing. Be happy doing it. But there will be some other people who are like, I like the idea of going into a world that is a big industry and being paid well and being paid stably for my kind of creative ideas. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I left teaching about four years ago now, but for me, there's just still, there's no functional link between what you're learning in the classroom creatively, creative writing, and how that can then apply it outside of the classroom and beyond yeah. journalism or writing a novel. I think it just yeah. needs a lot more thought. So I'm on with you there. And I think, you know, it takes copywriters, especially the ones like you, Tom, who've been in that world, in that teaching, to, to create a bit of a bridge. I don't think the system is going to do what we want it to do anytime soon. So maybe there is a bit of responsibility there. If you're an individual copywriter and you know, like a young creative person who's at school and, and maybe they don't like school or school doesn't really understand them and they don't fit into that kind of that model, introduce them to what you do, get them to kind of come and have a look at, at kind of what you do and what this world is like. That might be enough. If all of us kind of go and adopt a young creative person and just give them a glimpse of what this, this could be for them maybe you start to see that shift happen a bit more. Yeah, I'm know. on board with that. Right, Andrew, we need to get to listener questions. I've got one here from Brand Voice Copywriter and the Turdinator creator, Jonathan Wilcock. He's asking you, what's the worst headline you've ever come up with? So I saw this question on LinkedIn and I, I said to Jonathan that this could be an entire podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to sort of give you the line or, or the client, but it was it was one of those moments where, because this is the thing, this one line I am thinking about, it was bad and it was very nakedly bad. You could see from the outside it was bad. Right. But no one noticed. I didn't notice. The creative team didn't notice. The cameras didn't notice. Nobody noticed it was bad. So it got put forward and I had to stand up in front of the client and present them this line. And it was one of those exact moments where I went, halfway through presenting it, oh no, like, did I write that? Because that's awful. And the client, to their credit, were very, very polite and they dismissed it in a very kind of considerate way. But it's one of those things where the process is so weird. The process of kind of writing and creating is so strange that, that you do sometimes lose your sense of 
like critical awareness. You do let lose your sense of what is good and what is bad, especially if you've been working on the same brief for, for a long time. And if you're around, you know, 88 of amends uh, or, or sort of two in the morning on a pitch, whatever it might be. I've got no excuses. I think this was uh, just one of those briefs where I had a moment of absolute madness. So I'm not going to give you the line away, but I'm just going to say that it was a disgrace to everyone in that room. <laughs> I think we've all been there. <laughs> Well, on the other side of that, it doesn't have to be one you've written, but what's the best headline you've ever come across? I'm going to tell you that might not be the best one I've ever, ever written, but the reason I bring this up a lot is because I wrote it. It was during lockdown and it was for a client who, it was a pub, chain of pubs, who were offering takeaway beers at the pandemic when people couldn't go out to the pub. But you could go to the pub, you could pick up a, a gallon of beer or whatever and, and take it at home. And the line I wrote for them, for that service was called, was Exit, Pursued by a Beer, which is the spin on Shakespeare. I forget which play, but there's a stage direction in Shakespeare, which is Exit, Pursued by a Bear. So I was so pleased with myself. I was so smug because I thought this is literary and it's witty. And well, we found out even before I sort of properly presented it to them that there was a blog called Exit, Pursued by a Beer. And it was too close to kind of what they were doing. And they were like, we don't feel comfortable using it. It feels like you've ripped it off. And I was like, I haven't ripped it off. I don't think <laughs> Never know, I might have ripped it off. And but there was a brief moment where I thought, I'm brilliant. There's Shakespeare there, and I'm sort of neck and neck because we both come up with a really brilliant, witty thing. And it all sort of turned to ash and dust and always sort of desolate. So now what I do is I, I keep that line alive by just telling people how clever I am to come up it's with it. It's a brilliant line. It's a really good one. Apparently not mine though, but there we go. Right. We've got to move on now to our feature round called Name That Attraction. And every guest, we asked them to come up with a name and strapline for a new attraction coming to Brighton Pier. All fictional, of course. Andrew, my previous guest, Ellen Kate Boyle, has set your task, which is to come up with a name and strapline for a Helter Skelter. What have you got for us? So, I'm going to tell you a little story first. When we were kids, there was a really dodgy fair that used to sort of pitch up a field fairly near sort of our school and you'd go along and it felt like a very unlicensed fair and this was sort of like the early 90s so regulation wasn't sort of high and there was lots of weird stuff there there's a ghost train where the only scary thing was like a youth dressed in a gorilla suit and as your ghost train car went past he, he basically just grabbed people it was different times so anyway you wouldn't go on the ghost train but there's a helter skelter there and it was a very very old sort of vintagey looking helter skelter but it was the slide itself was like wood. These things used to be made of like this kind of slattered wood and you'd go down in, in something that had been like a stitched together doormat. But I think for this thing to function as a slide, you have to sand and polish the wood regularly to keep it smooth, to keep it, you know, to keep the friction down. And they just didn't do that. They neglected that. So the thing was, you'd go on this helter skelter, you'd pay 20p or whatever, you'd get to the top and then you would grind your way down to the bottom. And it probably took about 25 minutes to get top to bottom. There was a lot of grazing. There was a lot of skinning going on. And it was just really unpleasant. So that's always kind of put me off Helter Skelters, this one sort of terrible splintery experience. So with that in mind, my name, I've gone for the Chafe House, like a safe house, but Chafe house And then I really wrestled with the strap line. I don't know why. I just, I reckon I spent about eight hours trying to think of this strap line. And the only one I could come up with is a Game of Thrones pun. And I felt like Game of Thrones was like a 2015 thing. We were all talking about it. So I'm a little bit late to the party, but I've gone for the Chafe House 
splinter is coming. And that's all I could do. And do you know that those moments we were talking about where you're halfway through reading out a line and you go, that's really bad. That well, I've just had one of those, those moments. So who sent me this challenge? This was uh, Ellen Kate Boyle. Oh, thanks, Ellen. <laughs> no, I'm go. a fan. And I can see that parked right next to actually Ellen's Terry go round. And is yes. the Coast Ghost Train. So um, yeah, we've got some brilliant names actually coming through on this task. Um, speaking of which, would you like to set the new attraction task for my next guest, Sarah Townsend? Oh, yes, I would. I know Sarah. Sarah's ace. I am going to, can I come up with anything? Anything that's attraction-y? I wanted Sarah to reinvent Whack-A-Mole 21st century. Because that's already a great name. Whack-A-Mole is a superb yeah, yeah. name. But in 2023, I don't know if moles are endangered, but it feels bad to be encouraging people to hammer them on in the face for amusement so i want a full reinvention of that for the the woke generation <laughs> what would be a woke version of whack-a-mole woke-a-mole i've just come up with it no she needs to do okay. better than that okay. awesome right sarah your homework is set brilliant andrew thanks so much and if people want to hear more from you where can they find you they can find me on linkedin linkedin is the my only sort of social home these days it's a weird old place but i do quite like it so please Drop me a message, say hello on LinkedIn. I am always about awesome. And you'll find all the links to get hold of Andrew in, in the show notes. Thanks so much, Andrew. And if you found this episode useful, do consider leaving a review for the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to join me for a chit chat, do drop a line at coastalcopy.co.uk. And I'll see you next time on Podcast by the Pier. This episode of Podcast by the Peer is sponsored by SEO Page One based in Sussex. Just as hamburgers are the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast, engaging content is the cornerstone of effective SEO. But churning out blog posts without a strategic content plan can often leave a bitter taste in your mouth, especially when it doesn't generate the traction and business you thought it would. So to help you win more eyeballs, SEO Page One provide topical authority maps for any niche which shows exactly what topics you should cover to rank higher, dominate the market and win more wedge. With SEO Page One's topical authority map, you'll have a proper content strategy that lasts for up to 12 months or more. So if you're thinking about putting the boosters on your blog, contact David at SEO Page One today at david at page1seo.co.uk or call 01444711169. Use the discount code podcast to receive £100 off your topical authority map. And I'll see you next time on Podcast by the Peer.